church today. So please stick around, and um, it'll be it'll be quick, five minutes. <laughs> Don't hold it, Christina. You're laughing. <laughs> um, let's stand together as we open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter five. Verses 22 through33. I'm reading from the King James version, so it'll be slightly different from some of you. But I purposely wanted to use the, the King James today because I really think it's more accurate in one area than any of our modern translations. And so I I chose to to read this morning from the King James. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as or just as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, As the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, it is a feminine pronoun in the Greek, with the washing of the water by the means of the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you particularly so love his wife even as himself, And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Lord, this is your eternal design from creation. Lord, your word, your mandates as our God, as our sovereign, are given in love. Because you have our interests at heart, Lord. God, we thank you that you have created us all differently. We thank you, God, that you in your infinite wisdom looked down upon man and you said it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper that will correspond, that is meet, that is exactly what he needs to fulfill and to make him complete. If 
Father, I pray today that as followers of New Testament Christianity, that we will hold your standard before the world because the world isn't working. Their design and their call for relationships is failing miserably. So why should we advocate to the world what you have dictated to us? Oh God, I pray that the church of Jesus Christ will recapture authentic Christianity. And God, that we will model authentic Christianity in our homes. That men will lead with love and compassion and sacrifice and protection and perseverance and preservation. Godly women would joyfully, willfully submit to the head that you've placed in their life, knowing that this will bring them the greatest joy when they find the purpose and the design that you have for them. Oh God, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you, God, that you have our interests at heart. And now, God, may we as your people reflect the glorious image of your love for us, your people, to the world. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. May be seated. You know, a lot of churches probably wouldn't teach this passage of scripture. <laughs> it's not popular today. It would be avoided. But the truth of it is, is this is a glorious passage of scripture. It sets men free to be who God created you to be. It sets women free to be all that God created you to be. And like as I was praying. The world who's rejected this notion of biblical headship and biblical submission is failing our families, failing our communities, and failing our churches, and failing our children. So God forbid that we should ever shrink back from saying, yes, this is what God teaches, and let's understand it and apply it to our lives. Before I go any further, though, I want to just take a five-minute recess, because I don't often give the church a chance to share with each other, and you're unprepared, I realize that, but if you have a short testimony, and short, please, or I'll have to say, okay, that's enough, <laughs> but if you had an opportunity this week, if you were able to redeem time this week, and you saw something that God opened a door, and you said, yes, God, you have opened this to me, and I want to take this time as an advantage to advance your kingdom. Did the Lord open any doors for anybody in our congregation that you would just like to share a quick testimony of what God has done in the past week? Because, you know, it's one thing to hear the word, isn't it? It's a total different thing to say, I'm going to take it out the door this week, and I'm going to apply it. Yes, Sharon, and then Rick. Amen. 
That's what I was praying for. That's what I was hoping for. Hallelujah. Rick. He wanted to throw rocks at you. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Praise the Lord. Let's pray for this opportunity that it'll grow. Seed planted. Joel. Okay. Anybody else? Got time for one more. Yes. Praise God. All right. That was quick, so we got time for one more. Anybody? Yes, Sean. Uh, we could just go all day. I think this is, this is wonderful. Sean, yes, brother. <laughs> Praise God for the boldness of that little guy. Hallelujah. Would to God that more of us adults would say, Jesus is my hero, and not be ashamed to tell others about that. All right. Well, God gave me a, a, a neat opportunity. Um, my granddaughter spent the night with me. Tracy was gone in Florida, and um, they sent me a video the night before, and um, said, I don't know what they call me, Pa. Oh. <laughs> um, she said, I'm going to sit on your lap tonight. You're going to tell me a story, and then we're going to watch Elf. <laughs> so um, we didn't watch much of Elf. I, I converted them into fans of the old Daniel Boone series. <laughs> Um, but when it came to story time, I laid him down in bed, and I said, I'm going to tell you my favorite story about a man who was born blind, and he met Jesus. And these little girls who 
now are not allowed to have a Bible in their home got to hear about Jesus. And at the end of the story, I said, what did Jesus mean when he said those who can see are really the ones who are blind and the ones who are blind can see? And my little eight-year-old granddaughter, she raised her hand laying there in bed. And I said, okay, Maya, what, what, what did Jesus mean? And she said this, she said, the people that really need Jesus, they love him and they see who Jesus really is. Man, what a blessing that was. And my daughter came and picked him up the next morning. And um, she came at 8 o'clock, and she didn't leave the house until 10. And so God is answering. God is working. And God gives us those opportunities, doesn't he? And they're precious. And we've got to redeem the time. Now on our, our topic at hand, we are image bearers of God. That's who we are. We are created in the image of God. And even the lost person, even though he's fallen and he's infinitely short of the glory of God, yet in some respects he can still be an image bearer of God. Lost people can do kind things. They're benevolent. They can communicate. They can share ideas and they can create because we are privileged to be the image bearers of God like nothing else in creation. But when you and I are regenerated, you and I are created in the image of Him who made us alive in righteousness and in true holiness. And when a man and woman wed and they vow their fidelity to one another, we are image bearers of Jesus. And we are image bearers of the people of God who love and submit and, yes, obey their head because we trust him implicitly, that he loves us eternally, that he has our best interest at heart and that he has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. The unity in marriage that God designed from creation is achieved through diversity of roles, not through uniformity. It's achieved through different expectations and different requirements. There's probably nothing more unpopular today than to teach that God's design for marriage and human sexuality is one man, one woman, for one lifetime. The wife is to reverence her husband. And that's why I used the old King James this morning, because it is the only translation that uses the word reverence. The Greek word is phobia. It is never translated in the entire New Testament respect, ever without exception. And it is translated, however, to revere, to be in awe, and to fear. It's the same word that's used in verse 22, or 21, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God, in the reverence of God. Now, there's a slight difference. Now, you can reverence somebody, and you will respect them, Right? But it's also possible to respect somebody, 
but not revere them. And this is the word that Paul, the Holy Spirit, intended for us to read this morning. And so I wanted to bring that out. We bring glory to God when a wife and a husband are living together in unity. Unity is what Jesus pictured on this earth with his heavenly father, didn't he? He says, I always do those things that are pleasing to you. The father has not left me alone. They were always in 100% unity and it brought about the glory of God. Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth, which the glory that you gave me before time began. So their unity, their oneness brought all this glory to God. And here's the beauty of understanding Jesus' relationship to the Father. They are co-equal in eternity. They are co-equal in attributes. They are co-equal in sovereignty. But yet Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered because he subjected himself to the headship of God the Father. So headship has no implications of inferiority. They are completely equal. Jesus was not ashamed to say that God was my Father. My Father is working. I am working. And when he said that, they picked up stones to kill him because he just made himself equal with God. So men and women are created completely equal under God. God didn't take Adam and put him to sleep and take a foot bone so that man could walk on his wife. He didn't take him from a neck bone so that she could turn his head. <laughs> he took from the rib, and I know I'm being kind of facetious here, but I think there's something about that because that was from Adam's side. She was to walk with him and be his equal. And they were co-heirs of everlasting life together. So unity is beautiful. It's like precious ointment. Going on the head of Aaron, running down to his skirts, it brought the high priest under God's sanctification. And that's what unity does. It sanctifies the home. It preserves the home. Unity is also like the dew of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was 9,000 feet above the desert. And that condensation of the moisture would come across the desert and fall upon Mount Hermon and give life and refreshment to all the valley below. And that's what our marriages are to be pictures of. That kind of unity. Marriage pictures God's design, point number one. A wife's submission models the church. 522, wives, submit. That's an imperative command. Submit yourselves unto your own husband. And here's the key to this whole verse, this little comparison clause. As to the Lord. That changes the entire perspective for every woman. You might have a dude that's just a derelict father and a derelict husband. And that man doesn't deserve any reverence or submission or kindness. But thanks be to God, you don't have to do it unto him. You do it to the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. And the woman, is, woman, 
women are not the only ones who are obligated to do this, by the way. 521 says, submit yourselves to one another as unto fear of God. So we're all under that same obligation, aren't we? Submission to authority. The word submission means to arrange yourself in order your life under the authority of official headship. Biblical submission never implies inferiority. In fact, the reason submission is so beautiful, it is performed equally and willingly. That's what makes submission so godlike. Because you are submitting to an equal. We don't like to do that, do we? We like to lord it over people. And God is asking the woman to submit herself to an equal. And when I submit to you and you submit to me, we're submitting to equals. I have no higher authority, nor do you have higher authority to over anybody else in the church. We are equals to one another, and it shows true humility when I am willing to submit to someone who's my equal. It's no big deal for me to go in and submit to a boss who's going to tell me that this is what you got to do. Yeah, I, I got to do it, right? And a husband doesn't lord it over his wife. As to the Lord, that denotes two things. First of all, it denotes submission is just like, or the manner that we do it is like we would do it to Jesus. It's joyful, it's willful, and it's purposeful. The second thing it denotes is that the reality that your act of obedience is ultimately really to Jesus. That sets a woman so free, doesn't it? To know that I am doing this because I love my Lord and Savior. About five years ago, I was counseling a wife, and she had an unbelieving husband. And he was not a nice guy. And I ultimately said to her, I said, are you willing to serve Jesus even if your marriage isn't restored? And she said, yes. And I said, are you willing to submit to your husband even if your marriage is not restored? And she said, yes. And I said, ultimately, you're not doing this for this man. You're not doing it to please him or to make him happy or to coerce him or with the hopes that maybe it will change him. Like, God, if I do this, you have to do that. She said, no, I understand. I love my Savior. That's why I want to do this. The reason is found in verse that comes right after it. So submission is not degrading. It is not inferiority. And it's because you recognize God's wisdom and role in your life. Verse 2. I mean, the second thing is verse 23. For, or because, because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. That's the reason that Paul gives us here. Because God's designed headship of man and Christ implies leadership and authority that gives direction, it gives peace, it gives protection, and these are the things that a woman longs for. You talk to any woman in a marriage... What does she want? She wants direction. She wants peace in her life. She wants protection. And it sets her free to fulfill God's purpose and design for her life. 
This isn't taking a woman saying, you've got to do this. This sets her free and says, this is who I am. This is the way that God designs me. When my wife got married, I wish I'd known this. No, I didn't. We would have married her anyway. But she wanted to have six kids. <laughs> she wanted to stay home. She wanted to be a housekeeper. She wanted to, to have these plots of plants all around our house, like it says in the book of Psalms, and all these mighty arrows in my quiver. That was her joy. That's what brought her fulfillment. That's what brought her meaning and purpose in life. And, and to ask her to stay home and to raise the children and to, to be the despot of the home in that situation, that's what she wanted to do. And I think that that is the natural inclination of most women unless they've been brainwashed by our society. The reason is because these things fulfill their purpose. Also, he is the savior of the body. That's another reason why a wife can submit. Now, I know that Paul is beginning to use an analogy that's quite not perfect because the husband is not the savior of the wife. He is not the head like Christ is the head. And so Paul is using these things to, to, to help us to understand what a man is supposed to do as the Savior of the body. You think about Christ as the Savior. What did he do? Christ absorbed all of our pain, didn't he? Jesus said this. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the Savior of the body. And a wife can submit to a husband when he, she realizes that he is going to take the blunt end of that paycheck cut. Or you got to move. Or whatever it is, he is there to say, you know what? Honey, it's going to be okay. God's going to protect us. I am here to provide for you. I am here to protect you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Doesn't matter how bad it gets. If we have to eat beans and live in a backseat of a camper, we'll do it, but we are together. David said this. He says, I've been old and young, and now I'm old, and I can say this. I've never been forsaken, and God has never let the righteous go begging bread. I look at what God has done for Tracy and I. When we first got married, we lived in a one-room cabin that was about as big as this platform up here. I kid you not. And we were as happy as two peas in a pod, because that's kind of about how big we were. But, I mean, we had everything. We, had, we were rich beyond all dreams. And now we've got a beautiful old home on Madison Avenue that's on the National Historic Register. And you know what? We're not any happier because of the bricks and mortar around us. We're just as happy as we were in that one-room cabin. And that's because God is the center of our home. Christ absorbs our pain. He takes our discouragement. He carries our burdens. And he protects us from harm. He is the good shepherd. He's the savior of the body. He will take his lambs and guide them and carry them in his bosom. And he will gently lead those who are young. And that's why a woman is able to submit the next verse starts out with the word therefore, but in the Greek it's actually the word Allah, which means but. It is the strongest, Brenda, I heard him say it over there, good Greek scholar over there. <laughs> and it is the strongest adversative. 
It is the idea, and some of the modern translations actually say, nevertheless. So Paul's now transitioning back into the husband and wife relationship. He took a little diversion, talking about Jesus and the church. Now he's going back to the, to the, 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 um, the main point of his passage. He's using this Allah to say, nevertheless, or therefore, Christ's infinite superiority over a man's ability to lead, a man's ability to protect and to, to, to buffet from harm. Christ is so superior, yet, nevertheless, there's a special emphasis and special stress is placed on the wife and the husband despite this difference. The church is our pattern, is what he's saying. The church is the pattern for the woman. Verse 24. As the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The emphasis here, not in every little detail, that it's contrary to the word of God, but in everything, the idea is it's joyful submission. It's out of implicit trust because your husband has your best interests at heart, but most importantly, it's with reverential fear and not stubborn compliance in everything. Okay, I've got to do this. No, it's something that Paul wants them to do willfully. Well, husbands, I'm ready to, to get after us now. Look what he says to us. Husbands, love. It's the Greek word agape. What's that mean, Brendan? Yes, it's sacrificial love. This is the kind of love that seeks to promote the highest, the noblest interests of his wife. Jesus Christ did not come to be served, did he? He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many husbands. That is the bar that Jesus Christ has set for you and I to love. He gave himself Parodidomai, which means to deliver yourself over no matter what they do to you, I am still surrendered to this. It's the very word that Jesus used when Judas betrayed him. When they came and they took him, he gave himself. No one took Jesus' life from him, did he? He willfully laid it down on his own volition. And that is the way that husbands are to love their wives. Ephesians 5.2, we've already read this, but let me just read it again. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for. Huper is the preposition, which means on the behalf of another person. That's what love is, and that's what God desires of the husband. Not just desires, he commands it. It's an imperative command as well. One of my favorite verses about the Lord Jesus Christ is found in 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty, he might make you and I rich. That's what a husband's supposed to do. 
He is to be impoverished so that he might enrich his wife's life. I think it would be easy to submit to a husband like that, wouldn't it? It would be a joy. Love is purposeful as well. Let's look at the next verse. Husband, love your wives. Give yourself. Verse 26, it's purposeful that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Now, Paul is gone again, and he's talking about Jesus. But he's going to make the analogy. He's going to bring it back to the marriage. So Paul kind of goes back and forth in this verse. He's talking about the mystery of creation, Adam and Eve. He's talking about the mystery of the church and his bride. But his whole point really is about marriage. And he's interweaving these two ideas and making comparisons. And it's about Christ here, but it has application to the husband because we get down to verse 28 and we know that it has application where it says, so ought the man. I'm talking about Jesus, but Ben, I'm not letting you off the hook. This is what you ought to do. The word ophilo means to have a debt. It means a moral obligation to follow Jesus Christ. Men, that is our responsibility. Love is purposeful, that we might sanctify her, give ourselves for her sins, and deliver her from the present evil age. That's what Jesus did in Galatians 1.4. The means of sanctification is the washing of the water by the word. Look at verse 26. What is the means? It's by or with the washing of the water by the word. Now, Liturgio is the word that's used here, which has the idea of worship. And I think what Paul is alluding to here is the baptismal waters, the washing by the word. When you come to confession and you pronounce Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are modeling that through baptism, you are being cleansed by the immersion of Jesus Christ. He is the one who cleanses us. He's the one who immerses, and immerses us. Let me just share a thought from 1 Peter. Our confession in baptism signifies the internal grace of cleansing. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not the removing of dirt from the body, but a pledge to God proceeding from a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ immerses us into his body, and a husband is meant to immerse his wife in the word of God. That's our role. Taking them, cleansing them by our open confession and our godly leadership and bringing the Bible into our home and teaching our family the word of God. The wife is to be presented as a glorious church without spot or without wrinkle, to be holy without blemish, Paul's now moving into the eschatological time frame here of the future when Jesus Christ comes back, but he doesn't leave it there. In verse 28, he brings it back to what men ought to do. Now, marriage throughout the Old Testament was always a picture of God's covenant relationship with his people. And I think that's what Paul is alluding to here, that this covenant relationship is what God has in mind. Let me just give you a quote from the Old Testament about the symbolicness of marriage covenant and the relationship that God had with Israel from Ezekiel chapter 18, chapter 16. And when I passed by, talking about Israel, I saw you wallowing in your blood. I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. 
I made you flourish like a plant of the field. You grew up and you became tall and you arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again, I saw you. Behold, you were of age for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you just as Boaz did over Ruth. I spread my garment over you. I covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you. This is God. This is what a man is supposed to do for his wife. I made my vow to you. I entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. You became mine. I bathed you with water. That's what a man is to do. I washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. Thus men ought to love their body, love their wife as they love their own body. Moral headship is an obligation, and yet it has a tremendous blessing. Look at the blessing that happens. Verse 28 and 29, so men ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for he that loves his wife loves himself. Here's the blessing. This is God's road map to blessings in the home. When you love your wife, you sacrifice yourself for your wife, you cleanse her, you absorb that pain, you buffet and you protect her. What you are really doing is you are bringing your home and you're elevating it into the spiritual realm where God says, I am going to pour out my presence and my spirit into this house. And so when you do that, you're actually loving yourself. It's your, in your best interest to love your wife. Now, this isn't some kind of self-indulgent self-interest. But it's just as Christ the church. That is the key to all of this. Look at verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it. And here it is. Here's the key to this whole phrase, or this whole two verses. Even as the Lord the church. Jesus had no self-interest when he was loving himself on the cross, did he? but he was loving his body. The body of you and I. The corporate body of Christ. And that's what a husband is doing. It's not this selfish, indulging love, but rather it's for the purpose of God being glorified. It's not self-love, but the realization of the inseparable union of the husband and wife. What God has called you to do. He has called you to be one, and God knows that what you can do as one corporate couple, you can do way more than you can do by yourself. A Belgian horse, a Belgian horse, they come from Belgium, but a Belgian horse, it can pull about 8,000 pounds behind it. But you put another Belgian horse right next to it, and they pull as one they can pull three times the amount of weight. You would think maybe 16,000 pounds, but actually 24,000. And this is what God is doing in the home. When you live together in this peace and unity, God says, I am going to bless this. And you're going to nurture one another. And you're going to cherish one another. And you can do so much more as one. The mystery is being revealed. But what is a mystery? The mystery of Christ in the church. Let's go on to verse um, 30 through 32. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So that's why man is 
instructed to, to cherish and nurture his wife because we are all one, actually, husband and wife are one flesh. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be joined together, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. So a mystery. A mystery simply means there is a sacred union between the Savior and his bride. It resembles the marriage connection. It's concealed at creation. We would have never figured this out without God's divine revelation, what God was doing when he created man and woman equally and then placed man as the head. Or when Adam made that reply, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, this was a gospel mystery encased in the Old Testament, made alive in the New Testament. That's what it means to be a mystery. The truth that was so great that the eternal Son of God would make this union with his people, just as Adam recognized that Eve was taken from his side to be his bride. So Christ comes and he adores us. He attaches himself to us. He strengthens us in our afflictions. No one would have understood this revelation. No one would have known exactly what God had taught unless he revealed this mystery to us. And yet the unbelieving marriage, the unbeliever, this is a complete mystery to them. They don't view marriage as sacred they don't see it as pure. They don't see it as something to be cherished or preserved. And yet we as believers, we understand this great mystery of what God is doing in our homes. Then Paul gives it one more resumption back to his main thought. So he's been talking about this mystery, this spiritual mystery. Now he's going to bring it back home to his main thought in this passage. The resumptive is picked up in verse 33 with the word nevertheless. Okay, I'm talking about a mystery. You can't live up to this ideal, but in spite of that, this is what I want for your home. The practical lessons to be learned from Christ and his body in the church, the wife and the husband. Husband, to love your wife as himself. Why? Because your eternal and spiritual interests are served when you love your spouse. It can only be achieved when you understand that you are one flesh with your wife. Wives, reverence your husbands. This is not because your husband deserved it that day. Thank goodness for that. There'd be very little reverence probably. Reverence is to the Lord. Your motive to submit is to submit to Christ, knowing that you are following God's design. Your greatest asset, wives, is your submission. When you submit to your husband, you can win your husband even without a word. This week, this was easy passage for me to obey because my wife was 2,000 miles away. <laughs> and I was just loving her all the time. I'd pick up the phone and I'd call her. And we had a little bit of a conflict one night on the phone. I won't go into any detail. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't ugly. 
But I knew I'd said some things that were inappropriate, that stirred up some anger in her, and she shot a text message back that was not very reverent. (laughs) And I was tired, so I didn't answer it. (laughs) I went to sleep. And I got up in the morning, and the first thing is I read was this beautiful apology from my wife. And I went to bed a little bit angry and holding on to my self-righteousness, and when I read that apology, it broke me, and I said, I'm the one who should be apologizing because I stirred it all up by what I said and what I did. But all it took to move my stubborn heart was just a little bit of reverence. Because that's what a man looks for from his wife. Respect and reverence and appreciation. But what a wife desperately needs and wants is a husband who loves her. A husband that will listen to her the same way that God will listen to you and I. And to try to answer those needs the best that we can in our abilities. And to protect her to wash her, to cleanse her, and to present her glorious before God. It's so simple. The world has missed it. But by the grace of God, we as his people, we should be image bearers of Jesus' love, ladies and men, by submission and love. The secret for material, I mean marital bliss, is not found in some profound program or going off to marriage counseling, although those things can help. It's rather an intentional obedience to these two simple commands, reverence and love. Nothing is gained when you and I abandon God's original design for the sake of the feminist movement, for the sake of being politically correct, for the sake of the advancement of the human species. We gain absolutely nothing. And this is what Jonah said. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And that's what we have done with marriage. We have forsaken what God has said for lying vanities and we have lost God's design and His precious mercy and grace in our homes. Husbands, whatever sacrifice, protection, and spiritual sanctification that Christ would render to His body, we must practice. Wives, the joyful, willingful trust and submission to your husband's headship should be modeled the same way the church does. Whenever the husband and the wife fail to meet this standard, and while all the little peculiarities of tempers and modes and speech, they give us pain, and we want to forsake what we're supposed to do, while one spouse may endeavor to tolerate them and not be offended, yes, that's what I should do. When my wife isn't reverential, and when I am not loving, we tolerate and we don't offend back, 
as a matter of conscience. And we never use that to exploit one another, but rather it should motivate us to submission to one another, to love one another, and to protect one another. With marriage falling apart rapidly in our culture, the church should have its high ideal to return to the Creator's design for life and model His image. Let's close with prayer. Father, God, I know as men today, Lord, every one of us want to confess right before you now, Lord Jesus, that God, we fall so short of your ideal, Lord. And God, today, as men, as husbands, Lord, we choose to repent. We choose to confess our sin. Lord, we choose today that we will model Christ who did not come to be served but come, came as a humble, lowly slave and got down on his knees and he washed his people's feet. Lord Jesus, help us as men to take the bread of life and break it and to feed our wives so that they might be sanctified, that they might be without blemish, that they might feel protected and provided for. Lord God, I pray today for our wives. Lord, give them a reverential fear of you. Give them a love for you and help them to see their obedience as a way of worshiping Jesus. Oh, God, I pray that the husbands and the wives of North Valley Bible Church will delight themselves in one another, Lord. Oh, God, I pray that people will come and ask us, why is your marriage different? And we can tell them about Jesus. We pray this for your glory.